0: Guys, I'm Chris. Hey, everybody, I'm Robert. And we're the Film Flamers. Happy New Year, everybody. That's right. And we're celebrating New Year and new transformations with
1: this month's picks, starting with Black Swan and following up with Annihilation next week. That's right. So we have a couple of movies starring Natalie Portman with her own transformations, becoming the new her of this year I don't know I don't know I was going somewhere with that but hey mm-hmm. so Black Swan is a 2010 American psychological horror film directed by Darren Aronofsky and written by Mark Heyman John McLaughlin and Andres Hines based upon his original story the film stars Natalie Portman Mila Kunis Vincent Cassell Barbara Hershey and known Ryder God bless Barbara Hershey mm-hmm.
0: the plot focuses on a New York City ballet company's production of Tchaikovsky's iconic ballet Swan Leak The production requires a ballerina to play the innocent and fragile White Swan as well as the dark and sensual Black Swan, and a ballerina competing for the
1: role becomes overwhelmed, losing her tenuous grip on reality. Tenuous indeed. Aronofsky conceived the movie after finding a connection with a previously seen production of Swan Lake and an unrealized screenplay about understudies, as well as the notion of being haunted by a double or doppelganger. He also considered Black Swan as a companion piece to his 2009 film, The Wrestler, with both films involving demanding performances and different kinds of art.
0: The music for the film was composed by longtime Aronofsky collaborator
1: Clint Mansell and featuring songs from Swan Lake, clearly. Okay, listeners, we felt it. Perfect. We were perfect. This is Black Swan.
0: Was it, though? I had the craziest dream last night about a girl who was turned into a swan, but her prince falls for the wrong girl and she kills herself.
1: He promised to feature me more this season. Well, he should. You've been there long enough. And you're the most dedicated dancer in the company. Our new swan queen, the exquisite
0: Nina Sayers. And Lily, you're gonna be amazing. Watch the way she moves. Sensual. She's not faking it.
1: Seduces!
0: Attack it! Attack it! Come on!
1: Where'd you get these? It's nothing. You sweet girl.
0: Feel my touch. Respond to it. So much hot for
1: teacher? I don't want to talk about that. You really need to relax. It's the role isn't it it's all this pressure i knew it'd be too much i knew it Ow. what's she doing here he made me your alternate
0: the only person standing in your way is you
1: how do you know where i live i have my ways she's after me nobody's after you Sweet girl, sweet girl. girl. What happened to my sweet girl? She's gone!
0: Nina Sayers, played by Natalie Portman, is a young ballerina living in New York City with her mother, Erica, played by Barbara Hershey, a former dancer whose career ended when she became pregnant. The artistic director of Nina's ballet company, Thomas, played by Vincent Cassell, has decided to open their latest season with Swan Lake, but he'll be auditioning dancers for the lead duel role, as current prima ballerina Beth, played by Winona Ryder, will be forced into retirement at the end of the season. The ballerina who wins the lead will need to embody both the innocent and fragile white swan and the dark and sensual black swan. Nina is a frigid perfectionist. She's devoted her life to ballet with the aid of her domineering mother, who obsesses over Nina's appearance and her dirty pillows (laughs) and skill as much as Nina does. Nina has always dreamed of dancing the part of the swan queen and begins practicing immediately. During the audition, Nina is flawless as the white swan, but fails to embody the twisted sensuality of the black swan. Upset, she returns home and dances the part until she gets it correctly. Later, while helping her dress, her mother notices a rash on Nina's shoulder. She accuses her of scratching herself again, apparently a nervous tick she's had in the past, and forcefully cuts Nina's nails with a pair of sharp scissors. Mm. More scissoring to come later. (laughs) The following day, Nina dolls herself up and visits Thomas to ask for reconsideration for the roles. He kisses her, and she viciously bites his lip. She hurries away, leaving him bewildered. Later, the cast list for the show is posted, and Nina is shocked to learn that she has won the lead role, much to the dismay of the rest of the cast. The company begins rehearsals for the show, and Nina notices a newcomer, Lily, played by Mila Kunis, who resembles her, but dances with reckless abandon that she does not possess. The company begins to promote Nina as its newest prima ballerina. At a gala, she's accosted by a drunk Beth, who accuses her of fucking Thomas to get the part. The following day, everyone learns that Beth has been hit by a car after the gala. Thomas confesses to Nina that he feels it could have been a suicide attempt. She visits Beth at the hospital, but flees when she sees the damage to Beth's legs, knowing that she'll never dance again. The stress of rehearsals begins to overwhelm Nina. She increasingly begins to see a sinister doppelganger of herself as the rash on her shoulder grows. On the night before the dress rehearsal, Lily arrives at Nina's apartment and offers a night on the town, which Nina accepts, despite her mother's objections. Lily offers Nina an ecstasy tablet, which she refuses, but Lily eventually spikes her drink with it, which Nina sees and ultimately accepts. The two drink, dance, and make out with guys late into the night, they return to Nina's apartment to find Nina's mother waiting. She and Nina argue, but Nina locks herself and Lily in her room. The two scissor passionately. <laughs> but Nina wakes in the morning late for rehearsal to find Lily gone and the room still locked from inside. In a panic, Nina arrives late to find Lily dancing the part of the black swan. She confronts her about their sexual encounter, but Lily denies it happened and accused Nina of having a lezy fantasy of her. She informs Nina that Thomas has asked her to be the understudy for the Swan Queen. Nina becomes increasingly paranoid that Lily is after her role, and that she'll ultimately be replaced. While rehearsing late, Nina spies Thomas and Lily having sex, and Nina imagines Lily morphing into herself. Panicked, Nina rushes to the hospital to get Beth's advice on how to keep a grip on the lead role, and to return several items she had previously stolen from Beth due to her idolation of her, including a nail file. Beth doesn't respond well and begins to stab herself in the face with a nail file. Worried she hallucinated and stabbed Beth herself, she hurries home and begins to wash the blood off of her hands. She calls for her mother and heads towards her mother's art studio, where she sees all the drawings and paintings of herself that her mother has made moving and speaking to her. She rips them all down and barricades herself in her room. Nina's skin begins to shift and take on a bird-like texture. Her eyes turn red and her knees violently invert in the shape of a bird's. She falls and hits her head, knocking herself out. Nina awakens on opening day very late. Either out of a fierce sense of protection or passive aggression, her mother tells her that she has called the company and told them that Nina would not be dancing that night due to her health. Furious, Nina leaves, telling her mother that her sweet girl is gone. At Lincoln Center, Nina arrives to find Lily dressed to dance the lead roles, but convinces Thomas that she is fit to go on. During her dance as the white swan, Nina falls from a lift position, infuriating Thomas. Shaken, Nina enters her dressing room to find Lily, who taunts her. They begin to fight while Lily morphs in and out of Nina's appearance. During the kerfuffle, Nina stabs Lily with a piece of glass and hides her body in the bathroom. Nina takes the stage of the black swan and dances with passionate abandon. During her performance, Nina begins to transform into a large black swan with feathers and wings. She receives a standing ovation and runs off the stage to kiss Thomas sensuously. She hurries to her dressing room to ready herself for the second act, but she finds blood pooling on the floor from the hidden body. A knock at the door startles her. She opens it to find Lily ready to apologize for ever doubting her abilities. Bewildered, Nina looks to her own abdomen to find that she had stabbed herself before dancing the Black Swan. Despite her wounds, she dresses for her final performance. She gracefully dances the White Swan's final scene in front of an entranced audience, including her mother, who is moved by the performance but seems to know something isn't right. Her wound growing, Nina ascends a structure that she is to leap off of as part of her character's suicide. She does, and she lands on the mattress below with a smile. The company rushes to congratulate her on the magnificent performance, but Lily suddenly gasps as she notices Nina's bloody wound. Thomas asks what she's done, but as the crowd roars, Nina only responds... That was perfect. The end. Or is it? It is.
1: Black One premiered at the Venice Film Festival on September 1, 2010, where it received a standing ovation, and Variety said it was one of the strongest Venice openers in recent memory. After Venice, it would go on to make the festival rounds, gaining a lot of attention and awards momentum. Black One was given
0: a very limited North American release on December third, two 2010 in only 18 theaters, but it was a surprise success. The following weeks each saw the movie entering a wider release and an increase in box office dollars.
1: The film would eventually hit the number two spot in the box office almost a month after its original release date. Black Swan earned a worldwide total of almost $130 million against a reported budget of $13 million. Jesus Christ. Did you see this in the theater? No. I did. Loved it. Hmm. Yeah. So some of those dollars were mine.
0: Oh. Well, congratulations. Thank you. Black Swan holds an 85% on Rotten Tomatoes and is certified fresh with an audience score of almost exactly that, at 84%. The site's consensus reads, Bracingly intense, passionate, and wildly melodramatic, Black Swan glides on Darren Aronofsky's bold direction, and a bravura performance from Natalie Portman, Metacritic assigned the film, a 79, indicating generally favorable reviews.
1: After Venice, Entertainment Weekly said the film was poised to be that year's love-it-or-hate-it movie. Leonard Maltin admitted that he couldn't stand the film while praising Portman's performance. Mike Goodridge from Screen Daily called it alternately disturbing and exhilarating and proclaimed it a hybrid of the turning point and early Polanski films like Repulsion and Rosemary's Baby. And they just succeeded in describing every Aronofsky film. Yes, that's true.
0: Kurt Honeycutt at the Hollywood Reporter had a more mixed review. He wrote, Black Swan is an instant guilty pleasure, a gorgeously shot, visually complex film whose badness is what's so good about it. You might howl at the sheer audacity of mixing mental illness with body fatiguing, mind-numbing rigors of ballet, but its lurid imagery and Hellcat competition between two dancers is pretty irresistible. The Huffington Post compared the movie's plot to that of Showgirls, (laughs) saying that Black Swan is just... Higher priced cheese. (laughs) I love that fucking quote.
1: Okay, so (laughs) awards. Uh, At the Academy Awards, it was nominated for Best Picture, Best Director, Best Cinematography, Best Editing, and it won Best Actress for Natalie Portman.
0: At the BAFTAs, it was nominated for let's just
1: say everything, but it won Best Actress. (laughs) I'm not gonna go through the fucking list. That's a lot. At uh, the Golden Globes or Dirty Pillows, it was nominated for Best Director, Best Supporting Actress, Mila Kunis, Best Motion Picture Drama, and won Best Actress.
0: So I'm seeing a pattern here. Yeah, a She's bit. winning Best Actress all over the place. At mm-hmm. uh, the Saturn Awards, even, it was nominated for Best Horror and Thriller Film, Best Director, and Best Writing, and it won for Best Actress and Best Supporting
1: Actress, this time for Mila Kunis. So yeah, it was pretty clear early on in awards season that Natalie Portman was going to win everything. Well, she her performance is basically a miracle in this movie. So. Yeah, I mean, we, were, we will get into that. But it is good to say that um, Black Swan is one of the very few horror movies ever to be nominated for Best Picture at the Academy Awards. It's, uh, I think, the Special Six. Yep. Mm-hmm. so we could go on with these accolades because they are legion um, aside from being one of the few horror films to be nominated for best picture over the course of the 2010 award season Black Swan received 279 nominations and 97 wins Debus. yeah
0: also this film marks the fifth collaboration between Aronofsky and composer Clint Mansell which obviously included elements from Swan Lake which we mentioned before which while excellent reviewed and critically acclaimed took it out of contention for many awards including the 2010 Oscars oh listen to that score it's a very good it's completely layered and complex into swan lake but also has a lot of cool like horror motifs and like different things that have happened that he's done to the score uh for tchaikovsky's work but it's so layered and complex and interestingly mixed that i mean it really deserves all those those praise but i can understand why it was taken out of contingent because it does rely so much
1: on of course the the titular well almost titular swan lake yeah I mean, well, thank God he didn't call it Swan Lake. So I mean, so I think there's a lot to talk about with this movie, right? And I feel like one doesn't have to scratch the surface too much to get to like the meat of it. But I mean, I don't know. Where do you want to start?
0: Uh, well, as usual, we talk a little bit about the cast. Obviously, Natalie Portman was very well cast here. In fact, he started talking to Natalie Portman back in like t- 2001, 2002. About this? After Requiem for a Dream um, mm-hmm. and kind of talked with her and had a meeting with her about doing a ballet film and starring her. But obviously didn't come to fruition until about 10 years later.
1: I think that she is excellent in this movie. I mean, I kind of feel like Nellie Portman is usually excellent in almost anything that she's in, right? I think she's been nominated for the Oscar twice now At least, um, yeah. for this. And then when she played um, JFK's wife. Yeah. Uh, Was she nominated
0: for any? Was there any kind of buzz for her in the Leon professional or
1: no, but a lot of people look back on that movie and her very small role in beautiful girls, you know, from right around the same time period where Mm -hmm. she was a much younger actress. Like it was clear early in her career that she was going to do really good things. And I feel like when you put Natalie Portman in front of the camera or even behind the camera now, I mean, she makes, she makes really good movies. What as a producer or director, I don't know that she's directed. She's produced a lot of things now. But I mean, like acting especially, I think that she's great. She even took some time off to go get her degree and all that stuff. But I mean, she's just a really fabulous actress. And I think that she can do a lot of good things with many different kinds of roles. Yeah. Except Star Wars. Except, well, I've only seen those movies like one time each.
0: No, she was good and all but like the third one. and And really, that's just fucking George Lucas. He's
1: horrible at directing actors. He's a good storyteller, but he's just not a great director. I wonder what she thinks about her performance in those movies. She hates it. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. But again, I mean, we'll be talking about Natalie Portman again in our next episode on Annihilation. So, I mean, moving on to the cast, um, Mila Kunis plays Lily, sort of her dance rival in the company.
0: Yeah. And before this, probably remember this is 2010. Yeah. Um, I don't think I ever saw her before in
1: movies outside of like um – That '70s show on Mm -hmm. on TV. I think that's really where she got her start, right? And then she does famously does the voice of one of the characters on Family Guy and has for like multiple seasons. But yeah, I think this is one of her first really big movie roles, and she's gone on to do a lot, you know, since then, mostly comedies, I think. But I really like Mila Kunis. Yeah, I think she's by far like one of the most beautiful people in Hollywood. And she seems really smart. Like she speaks Russian. You know what I mean? Like, what's well. Well, her family? But I mean, I don't know. I just I like her. Anytime I see her in something, I really I really appreciate her.
0: And it's always fun to see Barbara Hershey, and one of the few actors I've actually
1: ever met. That's true.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. So whenever she she signed something for you, was it Beaches that you picked? Yeah. <laughs> was there a Black Swan picture to choose from? Do you remember? Uh,
0: there might have been, but. I, I don't know if they did any poster art with her on it for that. And there probably was for Insidious, mm-hmm. which obviously she was probably there for, because it was a horror convention. Yeah, You know, but um, yeah, I, I, I got a
1: beaches one. I mean, <laughs> I would first too. Love with technically. Barbara Hershey. Yeah. Well, I, I like Barbara Hershey. I liked her in Insidious. I like her in this. I mean, clearly I love her in beaches. So yeah, but she was great in this. She really is. I mean, she plays that like She's getting some Piper Laurie. But even I mean, such a, a layered performance from Barbara Hershey in this, because Piper Laurie just really plays like a really mean mom really well. Like Barbara Hershey, to me, goes back and forth between being a really mean mom and a very concerned mom and blends the two.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That, and that's something we're going to get into with the psychology of this film, because a lot of it, I think, has to do with that dynamic. Oh, yeah. I completely agree with you. And then, uh, you know, last but not least would be
1: Winona Ryder. Yeah, which is an odd choice, I think, for the role of an aging ballerina. When I see Winona Ryder, I don't necessarily think that. But she does play agingly drunken pretty well.
0: Well, she was 40. Um, and most of these prima ballerinas are like mm-hmm. in their 20s, you know, uh, just because of the amount of athleticism. And so at 40, I think they were, they were retiring her.
1: I actually work with a former prima ballerina. She's Albanian and like she worked in Europe and Russia and Albania. And now she teaches because like the demands of ballet are just way too difficult for somebody who reaches a certain age and having done it for so many years. Yeah. So I actually really liked that casting.
0: I was very pleased to see her
1: the first time I saw this 10 years ago.
0: And then, I mean, and
1: that's the I hadn't
0: seen One and a Writer really much before that. I think she had a comeback, right? Mm-hmm. Because she was kind of blacklisted in Hollywood for all of her like tomfoolery, thievery. Oh,
1: her, her klepto, her kleptomania, and yeah, such and like,
0: such. I, I want to say like the 2000s, mm-hmm. you know, were pretty devoid of One and a Writer almost completely. And then I want to say like um, she came back with a bit role in Star Trek and a bit role in this. Mm hmm. Um, the new Star Trek, obviously. And I think she played like Spock's mother. Yes, which is weird. And then from there on, like she seemed to get more and more work again. And of course, she's famously on Stranger Things, That's right? And, you know, so she has she has reentered the Hollywood lexicon. Yes. So let's talk about the background of this a little bit. I know we we touched on Aronofsky being inspired by Swan Lake itself uh, and the world of ballet in general. But obviously had kind of some interesting ties to stories and screenplays that he'd been working on or had read separately, including Andre Hines' screenplay, The Understudy, literally called The Understudy, which was described as all about Eve with a double set in the off-Broadway world. Hmm. So, um, you know, that kind of really made me think more and more about All About Eve and kind of the other things that this movie came from, which we'll get to in a little bit. But Aronofsky had the screenplay rewritten to be set in the world of ballet and then retitled it to
1: Black Swan very intentionally. And I really, I really like that title. Right. Cause I mean, so Swan Lake is one of my favorite ballets. It's the only ballet that I've seen live more than once. And I love the music. I just like the story. And I mean, the way that it's presented in this movie seems kind of different to me. And I really like that he went with that black swan route. It, the movie, it sums up the movie so much in just that title. Yeah. You know what I mean, portman and kunis started
0: training about six months before the uh, start of the filming to attain the body type and the tone similar to professional ballet dancers working out at least five hours per day and doing a lot of the dance work in the film good lord i can't even imagine yeah uh and obviously they did have dance devils uh i think american ballet theater soloist sarah lane and um uh, Maria Rochetto served as dance doubles for Portman and Kunis, respectively, which we'll also get to later because there's some controversy revolving around
1: that. And I feel like the other people in this movie had to have been professional dancers, right? Mm-hmm. Sort of the backup company, or at least the two guys who played the lead roles in Swan Lake, right? I mean, they had to have been. I don't. They. I don't know.
0: You know, they got some people from like the Pittsburgh, I think, uh, Pittsburgh Chicago Dance Theater, as well as New York, and that was shot in New York. Mm-hmm. So I'm not. You know, I don't know, but I know that they got some people from a lot of different places, like the uh, the piano player, for instance, right? That was like, fuck you, honey, I'm going home or whatever. Life.
1: You know, that's a drag queen. Yeah, I think he's in like a, another gay movie or something like that. Yeah. He's in something else too, I know, but uh, that's actually really funny. I just can't imagine why Aronofsky would choose more actors aside from Portman and Kunis who didn't already know how to dance ballet. You know what I mean? It seems like a... A foolhardy thing to
0: do. Yeah, I don't think you would have. So so obviously people with with dance background would Mm -hmm. have,
1: you know. Did Portman have any kind of a a dance background? And all the
0: understudies went and worked on Climax. I don't know. (laughs) Oh my God. (laughs) But uh, the other other interesting thing that I found from the background and the making of this movie really was that the film was shot on 16mm cameras, uh, which normally... These days film is either shot on digital or it's shot on 35 millimeter or even like higher, like IMAX, mm-hmm. like 70 millimeter film. Like I think Tarantino did the whole of like hateful eight and 70 millimeter or something like that, you know, because it's this big cinema scope kind of like, you know, you get this huge amount of resolution and kind of limited film grain and, but a very, lot of character in the film. And very little, grand. Easy looking. to work with, uh, as far as like the, the film, I guess, uh, it, maybe not easy to work with or develop, but you know, it's also very expensive mm-hmm. to shoot on those, but this was shot in 16 millimeter. I mean, like Buffy was shot in like 16 millimeter, you know what I mean? Uh, but it's, um, it, and allows for a much more like handheld shots. And it also adds a whole much more grain because that resolution is a little bit smaller, obviously. And, uh, it gives it like a, a more documentary feel. And I, I remember thinking that I was like this, the grain in this is really like, I noticed the grain, in this movie, um, and I also noticed that it was like darker and a lot more handheld, and they're, they're, the cameras like dancing around the other dancers. I'm like, this isn't on a dolly, no. you know. And so I think it was a really, really interesting decision. Um, and he's uh, Aronofsky is is uh, quoted to say, "I like Super 16 because the cameras are really, really light and really movable. Also, uh, for the wrestler, it was a money saving thing." The film stocks on 35mm would become so glossy that they'd get close to what people are doing on video, which I'm sure he means digital. I really wanted the camera to dance, but I was nervous about shooting a psychological thriller or horror film with a handheld camera. I couldn't think of another example where they did that. Really? Steady Steadicams are very different than handhelds because handheld gives you that verite feel. I was concerned if that would affect the suspense, but after a while I said, screw it, let's go for it. Yeah,
1: I think a lot of horror movies were shot on handheld camera.
0: I mean, well, a lot of like even like the following Michael Myers shots, that's Steady Cam, right? Right. The new steadicams Cam's and stuff. But there, I feel like a lot is shot on, on handheld, at least moments, not the whole movie though. I don't think the, this whole movie was even done handheld. I, I think, think it's if you're key going, if
1: you, like you said earlier, a more documentary type feel, if you're going for something that feels more real, then yeah, there's lots of movies that do that. But a lot of those are like found footage type movies. Well,
0: he also used, like, really, really wide lenses a lot of the time in close-ups or whatever, so that he didn't limit himself to the look of this thing. Like, it could have really looked like TV, you mm-hmm. know, early thousands, late 90s TV, and it didn't for no. that reason. You know, they got a real good cinematographer in this, you know, so, I mean, I, I, the only thing I really noticed is like the agility of the camera and the graininess, but I, I don't want to over talk about it because it's, it's like nerd stuff.
1: Well, there were some moments like apartment scenes where the camera is very shaky,
0: you know, at times, right? So you could tell. Much more of a documentary and feel. Yeah. yeah especially especially for those like called. those tense moments between mm-hmm. two individuals, which there are many in this film. Yes. So, and of course that leads me to look and feel, right? The visual effects, so the cinematography, the costuming we're all really, really well done here on a kind of a low budget. One of the things that really like spoke to me though, is like they have to do so many scenes in these like double mirrored rooms mm-hmm. and they hide the camera. Like, I don't know if they did it digitally or if they had like, uh, they did like the window it is fake. It's fake mirror type of bit where it's like a, yet it splits the room in half and it makes it look like it's a reflection when it's not. So you don't see the camera. They must've done a lot of different things because there are so many mirror moments in this film with no camera to be seen. And they did a masterful job at moving the camera around with these mirrors when you can't like do motion control and like erase that. So a lot of I I would assume that there were several scenes in this movie where they had to hand paint the camera out of those reflections.
1: And that would take a lot because you're right. I mean like a huge chunk of this movie is like people looking into a mirror, sometimes multiple mirrors, right? There's that scene where uh Nina and Lily enter the apartment after they're drunk and high on ecstasy, right? And they have that mirror in the middle and the smaller mirrors all around it. You remember what I'm talking about? Mm -hmm. Like, it's just beautiful the way they do all of it. It's stunning.
0: Well, like, most of the time you see, like, ballet scenes, you're at an angle, right? You're you're kind of viewing them at an angle and Mm -hmm. you see, like the lines of the, the posts on the mirror and stuff like that. And it's all done kind of artistically. There's also a reason. So you don't see the fucking camera. Yeah. Right. But this one does straight on shots directly parallel to a mirror. And it's just like, what the fuck or perpendicular maybe. Okay. Anyway, it was very impressive to me.
1: <laughs> no, I completely agree with you. I mean, it, it struck me more on this watch than I think it did on the previous watches of this movie. I've only seen this movie a handful of times, maybe like three or four, but um, it was my second watch. Yeah. Really? And, uh, yeah, I mean, like, it just really hit me how often people are looking into a mirror or looking away from a mirror or something in this movie. It's just like 90% of it is in mirror. And I think some of the best effects too, when she starts to sort of lose her grip on reality, when you can see what the reflection is doing, that's different from what she's doing in reality. It's just really, really neat looking. I feel like we've been talking about mirrors a lot too. Aren't we recently talking about mirrors and talking about Poltergeist 3, like randomly? Oh,
0: there's a lot of mirrors in horror. I mean, there's literally a horror movie called mirrors. Mirrors. (laughs) Kiefer. Yeah. (laughs) So um, there are some controversies regarding this film. Okay. Right. So several critics notice the striking similarities between Black Swan and a 1997 Japanese anime film called Perfect Blue. In that film, the Japanese singer retires from music to pursue an acting career. And after becoming a victim of stalking, strange murders begin to occur around her, causing her to lose her grip on reality. Aronofsky acknowledges the similarities but denies the film had any influence on him, which is kind of bullshit because he literally met with the maker of Perfect Blue in 2001, 2002, around the same time he was talking to Natalie Bortman. Oh, really? Yeah. And he says, yeah, he loves the film and he's talked with the filmmakers and blah, 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 but it didn't directly influence him. Like, I'm sorry, but after you've like consumed content... You know, and you've kind of like, especially your favorite stuff, obviously it's going to make its way into your own work and your style, especially if you loved it. You know what I mean? So you can't say it wasn't an, an influence. He's, he's trying to say it's not a direct influence, but there was almost a lawsuit, I think.
1: Oh, really? Well, I mean, I didn't know that. I've never even heard of this movie until doing some research for this one. Right. Yeah. So you're not a big anime. No, person. I'm not. I was wondering if, if Matt had seen it or something, but I hadn't even really heard of it.
0: You know, obviously the big ones that I've seen are you know all the Miyazaki movies like Spirited mm-hmm. Away, and then um, you know some of the other things like Paprika, and like obviously um, Akira. I haven't seen Akira. Akira. <laughs> I haven't seen, I haven't seen any of those. You're, um, you're gonna need to, because there's some fucking body
1: horror in that one. Akira. Yeah. yeah, I keep hearing it's very good. It's My list to show you. I don't know. I really feel like, like you just said. I mean, I, once you've seen something, once you've consumed it, it's going to influence what you do. And I feel like people need to be a little bit more generous with, you know, saying, yeah, I was, you know, influenced by this. It doesn't necessarily mean you copied it. But if influence is there, it's there. Stop trying to dance around the fucking fact of it.
0: Well, I mean, speaking of generous, the American Ballet Theater dancer Sarah Lane served as a dance double for Portman in the film, as we previously discussed. And in a March 3 blog uh, entry for Dance Magazine, editor-in-chief Wendy Perrin asked, Do people really believe that it takes only one year to make a ballerina? We know that Natalie Portman studied ballet as a kid and had a year of intensive training for the film, but... That doesn't add up as being a ballerina. However, it seems that many people believe Portman did her own dancing in Black Swan. This led to responses from Benjamin Millipede, I guess that's it, Millipide, and Aronofsky, who both defended Portman, as well as a response from Lane, claiming that she had not been given enough credit. She actually went on, uh, based on that, to made a public statement shortly before the the DVD and the Blu-ray release in March March of 2011, claiming that the film's producers asked her to not conduct any interviews until. after after the awards season so that Natalie Portman could receive most of the dancing credibility. Uh, I, <laughs> I don't know. I feel like I have things to say about that. But I remember this all going down. It was like tabloid bullshit for like, you know?
1: Yeah. Cause I remember when this came out, people were talking about that, especially after she won the Oscar. Right. Yeah. And I feel like, As we were talking about off mic earlier today too, I feel like her performance in this is so much more than just the dancing aspects of it. Yeah, that's hard for lay people to try to get that, you know? And of course, no one's calling her a fucking ballerina, you know? Nobody during award season was like, oh my God, she's a ballerina. But she trained You can train hard enough and yeah. get some of the basic things down, and have it still look good.
0: Well, when you're when you're a fucking prima donna and your whole world is ballet, I mean, she just mirrored this whole fucking thing. Mm-hmm. She really did. And like, I remember that back and forth. I'm like, honey, they don't give Oscars for ballet. No, you don't. know what I mean. They're not giving Natalie Portman an Oscar for her ballet performance. <laughs> They're not. They're- it's like I'm sorry, however how devastating that that news is, but. Um, You know, also, both things can be true, you know, like obviously a studio, especially one that's up for a bunch of rewards, either surprisingly or intentionally, is going to support their star. You know, as part of a marketing effort, you know, and even a promotional video released about the special effects uh, used in the film was also altered, so it didn't include aspects of how Lane's face was digitally replaced with Portman's during complicated dance moves. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, I didn't know that. So the plot thickens, choreographer and Portman's uh, fiance, Benjamin Millipide counteracted Lane's comments. It's important that this is, we know this is Portman's fiance. I did not know that either. Yeah. It was, uh, so believable. It was fantastic. That beautiful movement quality. There are articles now talking about her dance double, Sarah Lane, that are making it sound like she did a lot of the work, but she really just did the footwork, the, the futes or whatever. And one diagonal phrase at the studio, honestly, 85% of that movie is Natalie. And then to try and like just end cap this whole thing, Aronofsky himself finally came back and said, um, here's the reality, I had my editor count shots. There are 139 dance shots in the film. 111 are Natalie Portman untouched. 28 are her dance double Sarah Lane. If you do the math, that's 80% Natalie Portman.
1: Okay. Well there, he put numbers to it. Yep. So, um, Benjamin Millipede is the, the guy who plays the lead role in, Swan Lake in this movie too. I had no idea. And they're a fiance, they were a fiance. You know? I guess they were affianced. Was
0: he the, the one that dropped her?
1: Yeah, like oh the one who seemed disinterested. Where the where Toma's like, would you fuck this girl? And he just looks disinterested the entire oh. time.
0: Ooh. Wow, he's cute too. Natalie Portman married until in twenty twelve, still married with two children. Oh
1: my, look at that. Yeah, She married
0: herself a ballerina. Good for them.
1: What what do they call male ballerinas?
0: Ballerinas, ballers. No. <laughs> oh.
1: Not important. Cock jockeys. <laughs> Maybe this is why I love ballet so much because they wear those tight fucking tights and it's just like crotch in your face the whole fucking time. The dance belt. That's why my husband likes to go to the ballet for sure. He doesn't look at any of the dance, he just looks at, you know, the giant fucking bulges the whole time. Jesus. Well, it's not real. So I never look at that. Uh, well, it's I just mean, the dance belt, right? It's like the padded jock. But it's still pronounced, you know what I mean? And one can imagine. Well, really, the pro tip is to look at the back. (laughs) The ass? Yeah. (laughs) Because those
0: tights have the the butt seam, right? So the the crack goes all the way up and you can see everything.
1: It's like your fucking ass is hungry because it's eating your pants. Yep. So shall we discuss the psychology of it all? Yeah, because I feel like this movie is just like Psychology 101, actually. Except that I still struggle with a so what? (laughs) The so what, yeah. so what of it
0: all? Yeah, uh, the
1: so what of it all. Obviously, we can start off with um, duality. Yeah, I mean, like duality. This this is what this movie is about, essentially, right? We already talked about mirrors at length, right? Which is sort of like the physical way to represent duality in this movie. And there's lots of ways to think about duality as far as like psychology goes. A lot of people think that. You know, duality starts with the brain and mind, right? Like the brain is a physical part of your body and the mind is something that goes way past that, right? But most people think about duality as a personality trait, right? And not just like multiple personalities, you know, but clearly that every single person has something inside themselves, something they project and something that they hold inside, right? And I think that Natalie Portman's character in this, does that throughout this movie, like throughout the entirety of it. Yeah. And I think there's a very
0: specific thing going on with her versus like everyone's duality. You Mm -hmm. know what I mean? Uh, She was, well, Portman, I should say, not the character, but Portman herself was uh, recalled after reading the script that I thought it was very interesting because this movie in so many ways is an exploration of an artist's ego and that narcissistic sort of attraction to yourself and also
1: repulsion with yourself. I can totally see that. I think that's pretty clear in this movie as well. I mean, like she she's striving to reach something and she she really pays a lot of attention to herself, her body, her abilities, everything in this movie.
0: Well, yeah, everything is a reflection of that, no pun intended. But I mean, <laughs> like her mother is so overbearing and almost like a, you know, Margaret White kind of way, but less you know, obviously a doting mother. Yes. Less than a, like a, you know, but there's a lot of repression there. Her entire world is about her and her. You know, skill with You know, being a ballet dancer, a professional one. Mm-hmm. And her mother's career was that she gave it up. It's just a classic thing, you know, like uh, where the mother is living vicariously through there, and all the stakes are on the daughter, you know. And so there's a, like this really weird, like boundaryless kind of situation there. Like you saw early on, she she calls her mother that tells her that she got the role, and she comes home, and her mother comes home with a cake. And she's well, I can't eat that. My stomach's still in us. And her mother was like, well, I'll just throw it all away then. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's this like weird kind of like codependence. Yes. Definitely a cod- sick kind of toxic codependence going on between the mother there's still a lot of love and closeness there but there's, there's toxic codependence going on
1: yeah and I think that codependence is a really good way to put it as opposed to like when tells him by proxy or something you know yeah. like there are some very scary moments aside from like that cake moment when she realizes that her daughter could be scratching herself in ways that she had before like clearly her daughter has had some mental problems in the past yes and she grabs those fucking big ass scissors and starts cutting her nails like super close to the finger it's super uncomfortable Comfortable to watch and like scary. in a panicked way. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and I like, I feel terrible. For both those characters in that moment, you know what I mean? But terrified for for Nina's character. And I just like trying to live that way,
0: right? And it just seems like her mother is just like living in her little work room where she
1: does nothing but paint pictures of her daughter. Uh-huh. Which is super fucking creepy. Yeah. I mean, obsessed. Yes. I think another part of this, as far as like the psychology of it all, is like the stunted emotional growth that Nina's character has, right? Like she is so forced either by her own mind or her mother's to focus on ballet that she has not had any sort of a personal life. She, she's not grown. She never, never grew she away. up yeah. from
0: being a little ballerina girl. I mean, she does not have emotional maturity. She's very soft spoken and unsure of herself. It's all about skill. All that growth went into her skill and She never cultivated a fucking personality. I
1: mean, just like look into her room and you see like stuffed animals and things, right? And we're supposed to believe that she's in her mid to late 20s in this movie. And she's acting like a child. And throughout the movie, you see Nina's character literally... Go through pre-puberty, like she becomes an adult. When she was stuffing all those stuffed animals in the down into the
0: garbage, she just reminded me of the whole sequence of Michelle Pfeiffer and Batman Returns, becoming <laughs> Catwoman, <laughs> just destroying her apartment. Well, she gets slapped in the face with reality and adulthood, uh-huh. right? And she comes home and she's like, "Fuck everything!" And she destroys everything in her home. She just she puts all her stuffed animals down the disposal or whatever. She comes Catwoman and starts like clawing, like the men in the face with her fucking nails. You know what I mean? Like she just has this mental break and it's almost kind of like that scene here. it's kind of sad to watch, but I don't know. It's somehow
1: less tragic and more entertaining. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I like, I like when Michelle Pfeiffer in that movie knocks the uh, neon sign and says hell here or something like that.
0: It's yeah. It's a hello there. And it was a hell
1: here. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it, like Nina's character, like she starts to, to masturbate frequently in this movie. Just the once. Well, I mean, she That's she tries to touch to herself in the up, tub but. a little bit. And then she, there's that one scene where she wakes up and she's really going downtown and, like, turns over and sees her mom sleeping in the chair. <laughs> Next door, yeah. How fucking uncomfortable is that? Yeah. I mean, like, oh, my God. Can you imagine, yeah. like, waking up and you got a little, like, morning wood going on? And then you look over and your mom's, like, sitting there? I would die. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, she basically did. Yeah. I mean, she doesn't have a lock on her door. She has to get that bar from the trash area to keep her door locked. You know what I mean? There's just so many things that she does. She's even asked a direct question by one of the characters as to whether or not she's a virgin. And she skates around that answer, you know, but she was like, you know, she, she had had boyfriends before or something like that. But I mean, like she's clearly out of her element, even when they meet those two guys in the bar, Tom and Jerry. Right. And, uh, it's just watching her try to interact with other people is, is really, really off-putting for me in this movie. And I think it shows her performance really well as well.
0: It does, but it's also, I mean, there's also an implied history here, which I always love when there's implied history and not everything's in a vacuum, Uh you know, of of some sort of mental illness that she had had, nervous tics, you know, um, some sort of difference with her where she had been self-harming in some sort of way you know, either automatically, intentionally or not, unconsciously or not. And that comes to a forefront and everything's kind of just pressure, pressure, pressure. And that combined with all of the repression, mm-hmm. like her mother not letting her see friends or not letting her go out or, or at least like really like keeping her to herself and, and hidden from the world except for ballet. It's really kind of inevitable that something like this happened you kind of see it as a train coming
1: yeah i mean it it, you can see the wreck happening from like miles away right and i mean you talked about self-harm and the scratching and i also feel like the idea of perfection in this movie also contributes to self-harm i mean like she is practicing to the point of almost injuring herself you know multiple times in this movie the movie is also messy in a way right because like the mother
0: eventually kind of takes back and is like, well, you're not going to dance tonight. It was her biggest role or whatever. And I don't know if she, we don't really know if it's the mother that felt snubbed by the recent behavior and everything was like, well, if you're not going to do it my way, you're not going to do it at all.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Or if she really was caring for her daughter and knew that something horrible was going to happen. And I think it's both. And I think it's dirty and messy, just like reality. And I feel like they did a fairly good job with that. Narratively, I have different opinions about that, but I think it was more realistic to have it multi multifaceted in that way. And the mother has kind of a nuanced um ways of dealing with things and ways of feeling, feeling. I'm sure she did feel jealous and she did feel controlling and she did feel, like she was being slapped down by her daughter and not appreciated, but also worrying for her daughter at the same time. You know, it's kind of a real
1: Gypsy Rose kind of situation. I mean, for real, how often? I mean, you can't, you can't talk to your daughter and like commend them for what they do well and then backhandedly say, well, I could have also done that, but I had you. You know what I mean? Like all of these things that we just talked about, really combine to create the psychological fracture that we see Nina go through in this movie.
0: Enjoy your cake, Bonnet. I mean,
1: I mean, Nina. <laughs> so, I mean, like she clearly is having some sort of emotional breakdown and a psychological breakdown in this movie. Yeah,
0: I think we've, we've probably beat this horse to death talking about that. But
1: I know I just find it fascinating. It is. It's yeah. really fascinating
0: watching this movie and to see how it kind of evolves or devolves.
1: Out of any movie that you can talk about from a psychological standpoint, I think this is, like, tops, really. It kind of takes a lot of those things from other uh, – that we've seen
0: before and kind of brings it all together. Like we we mentioned, all about Eve. There's a movie in the 40s called The Red Shoes. That's literally about uh, ballerinas, mm-hmm. like, you know, um, battling each other, you know. And then uh, Polanski's The Tenant, which was – uh, All About Eve and The Tenant were direct. Like he has actually acknowledged, Aronofsky said The Tenant and All About Eve were like the biggest things outside of Swan Lake itself, along with Repulsion and Rosemary's Baby. I don't see that as much. Um, I wrote down Gypsy. And I wrote down Carrie and I wrote down Fight Club as also things that remind me of this a little bit, yes. especially
1: Fight Club a little mm-hmm. bit. Well, I think like I think comparisons to Carrie is kind of head on. You know what I mean? Like we can see it. Oh, right? yeah. There's a mother daughter dynamic in this movie, just like there is Carrie. But instead sort of
0: exploding, she implodes. Right. Which is more realistic in a right. way as far as an ending of Carrie.
1: But again, I mean, that's another movie that about someone's like stunted emotional growth yep. and physical growth. And overbearing mother. Yeah. I mean, like it was Carrie all over. I was watching it and I think I texted you. I was just like, Showgirls plus Carrie equals Black Swan. Yes.
0: (laughs) Very much obviously Showgirls, you know, is all over this as well. But I mean, that's a separate thing.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's just fun to mention. You know what I mean? But like this movie, I think this movie does owe a debt of gratitude to Carrie.
0: And I think it also kind of owes a little bit of debt of gratitude to Fight Club. Is this person in reality the entire movie? And then you kind of find out, no, this is this whole time, this entire character was a figment of this person's imagination. And there's a lot of that in black swan.
1: Oh yeah. I mean, there's so many times that you're watching this movie and you have to ask yourself, like, is this real or is this a hallucination? And I'm not sure that you can even find an answer to the question to that when you're watching this movie. I don't know that we could ever fully know.
0: Yeah. Like for instance, there's two big questions for me. Like, did Nina kill Beth? Exactly. I feel like if she had, then there would have been consequences sooner.
1: Yeah, I mean, it seemed like nobody was watching anybody in that hospital, though. No, you could yeah. just come and go.
0: I mean, clearly it wasn't COVID times. Beth just started stabbing herself in the face, thinking her career is over or whatever. Just I'm nobody. I feel like she must have been on suicide watch or something. She had to have been. And then when she saw that letter opener, that nail file, or whatever it was, she took advantage of the situation and started stabbing herself because Nina had nothing to do with Beth as far as like anger or repression or anything like that. It was all about her
1: doppelganger.
0: Yeah. And then, of course, uh, Lily, M- Mila Kunis' character. Well, I not
1: mean, Beth. I, I, Beth did accost her and accuse her of using her sexual wiles. Or she whatever, went to, to her, her for her advice, it. not yes.
0: to accost her back. You know what I mean? Well,
1: and then she, she went to see her anyway just to bring flowers and make sure she was okay earlier in the movie. You know, she had no ill will, which leads me to ask, I mean— Was Beth even hurt? Could that entire thing have been a hallucination? We don't know. Yeah,
0: She wanted to be Beth. She idolized her, obviously, versus the Mila Kunis' character, which she did feel was her mere reflection or nemesis.
1: I, I think by this time in the movie, you have to really question anything that's going on screen. I mean, yes, her hands are bloody and she's washing them, but could that also be in her mind at that point? I mean, we don't know. Yeah.
0: Uh, As alluded that that Beth could have done that to herself, that Nina could have had a hand in it. Mm. Uh, How did she end up with the nail file and bloody hands at the end? Were they fighting over it? Didn't really show that. Showed her close, but not that close. Uh, Did it actually happen at all? Um, What what happened with that? You know, does Nina actually die at the end?
1: That's a really good question.
0: Uh, I think it kind of fades to white which is white is usually you know the the death vignette yeah you know but um I don't know I don't really care
1: yeah I don't I don't it doesn't matter she could be alive or dead I, I think that, I think the movie ends in a good place you know what I mean I think that she achieved what she wanted to achieve I think Aronofsky's take is that she's
0: dead um you know it's kind of the exclamation point on the story mm-hmm. versus I think Natalie Portman seeing her interviews says she lives right it's just like this is the moment she actually finally grew the fuck up.
1: It's like flipping a coin, you know. Either I'm good with either. How do you feel? I think she's dead. Yeah, I I,
0: I think it's it's a better
1: story if she dies. If she's if she's dead, she achieves perfection and then dies immediately. I mean, granted, that was a very small shard
0: of glass, but
1: (laughs) yeah, she just pulled it out. It seemed little, and I was just like, I've had bigger than that. I've had bigger (laughs) than that, Natalie. Come on. Do
0: you have any fun facts for me? I do. I do. So uh, Natalie Portman revealed that director Darren Aronofsky would subtly try to pit her and Mila Kunis against each other during filming in an attempt to increase the on-screen tension between the characters. Oh. So uh, that included keeping the two actresses separated during filming and sending each of them like intimidating text messages about each other's performance that day. <laughs> However, according to Cunis, this backfired because they were already good friends before filming. Whenever they would get wind that the other one was doing really well, they would respond in congratulatory support, not rivalry. Oh.
1: Stop trying to pit women against each other, Darren. I know
0: he didn't know this because like I I feel like they were friends. And then I think Natalie Portman actually like went to the casting director and said, Pick Mila. Like she's ready for this really good for this role. And that's how she was hired. I don't know if Darren Aronofsky
1: knew about that but should have it's his production i feel like there's a big circle of people like actors of of this particular age so like natalie portman mila kunis seth green whatever they all sort of run in the same kind of hollywood circle or whatever maybe so i mean yeah
0: yeah i mean that makes sense but she literally is the reason she got hired well that mila got hired so i feel like darren and i should have done that but they're both good enough actresses they don't need that kind of fucking push i mean really to work stop it please Anyway, the budget on the film was so tight that when Natalie Portman had a rib dislocated during the lift and called the producer for help, she was told that the production could not afford a medic. Portman stated that if they needed to cut items from the budget, they could take away her trailer to hire a medic. The next day, her trailer was gone. <laughs> Portman had to uh, re- receive physical therapy during filming, and one of her sessions was actually incorporated into the final cut. So, choreographer Benjamin Millipide um, brought in Michelle Rodriguez Newell, an actual physical therapist, and director Aronofsky told Portman to stay in character during the appointment, and that's what you see, which she's going up under her ribs and stuff. Oh yeah, yeah. So that was real. Oh, that was that's a, neat. Natalie Portman's real appointment with that physical
1: therapist. <laughs> oh, yeah. which is like cracking her feet and shit too. Yeah, <sighs> I don't like that sound.
0: So uh, subsequent dance sequences were filmed by having Portman lift her from her armpits rather than her size to avoid repeating the injury, but it took Portman six weeks to fully recover. Jesus, that is dedication to a role. In fact, when shooting Black Swan, Natalie Portman sustained a lot of injuries, which caused delays to the production. The most common injury was her left toe. Which had to be restrapped while the cast and crew waited every single time. And this kind of delay was so frequent it was called Natalie Portman's left toe delay, <laughs> which was later shortened to portmanteau. Portmanteau. <laughs> oh my God. That is fucking hilarious. All right. for my last one. Parker Posey was strongly considered to play Beth McIntyre, but Darren Aronofsky eventually decided to cast Win- Winona Ryder for the role instead.
1: Oh, no, no, we make it. I know. What? <laughs> Parker I can Posey would have been so fucking perfect. <laughs> oh, my God. I can totally see it. I would rather have seen Parker Posey stab herself in the face because that is probably a little bit more. She would have been a little extra muppety about it. Probably in the best possible way.
0: But she just had that delivery that's just so snarky. Mm hmm. That Beth oh. has to do. Did you have to fuck him? Versus like Parker Posey would I'm like, you had to fuck him, didn't you?
1: <laughs> Array, freshman. God. Now I want to see this movie again, but with Parker Posey. Never come inside here. <laughs> <laughs> Let's do it again, but better this time. All right. Well, we have to ask some questions about Black Swan like we do about every movie that we cover here on the Film Flamers. And we'll start with, is Black Swan a horror movie? Yes. Yes. I wouldn't even call it a Jason. I would just call it a horror movie. Me too. Uh, Yeah. I mean, cause there's like clear moments of like horror in this, especially during like that, that weird bird transformation that happens in the room. Right.
0: Yeah. There's some monstrous stuff going on. There's obviously there's like stalking and stabbing and like Mm -hmm. reality shifting. And there's some, there's some really dark shit in here. And, um, you know, a lot of it is shot, and the tone is there, and the music's there. I mean, it's, it's a fucking horror movie.
1: It is. And even Aronofsky called it a horror movie. Yes. So,
0: yeah. Were you scared
1: while watching Black Swan?
0: <sighs> Ooh. That statue freaked me out. <laughs> it doesn't do anything. But she's walking around that statue, and then Beth accosts her from behind. Mm-hmm. Uh, I really expected, like, the statue to kind of move towards her or whatever, because it kind of looks like her, her dream demon or whatever from the very beginning
1: of the movie. Yeah. No, I you don't. really do expect that statue to move at some point, but really, no, I don't think I was really, I don't know that I was scared. I mean, when that's f- the first time I saw this movie in the theater, I was on a date actually and, uh, my date hated the fucking movie and he kept talking about it during the movie saying how much he didn't like it. And I was like, well, we're not going to go out again. Wow. But, uh. I mean, I was kind of on the edge of my seat, and I really get creeped out by, like, facial transformations when it goes from one person's face to another.
0: Yeah, I kept seeing the ballet dancers, like, with beaks and shit, but it was, like, such a half-second type of thing mm-hmm. that I was like, did I see that or did I not see that? You know what I mean? It's or, like, like, subtle
1: subtle supernatural, which I yeah. love. During that sex scene, right, where her face is changing from Natalie Portman's to Mila's, right, while she's going down on Natalie, is is. Creepy, you know, and scary. And anytime that something is happening in a mirror that's not happening in reality, I also find creepy. There's lots of scary moments in this movie. Yeah. So out of five stars, what would you rate Black Swan? I gave it a
0: four, and this was very tough. Like if I was still doing points, this would be like a 4.9 or something like right that. Uh, because but I have a kind of an issue with okay. this movie. And my main issue as far as rating is concerned is like everything, like the production quality, the acting, certainly. Um packaged as a whole kind of deserves that five star, Mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's almost, it's like nearly perfect for me. Um, except I have one kind of major issue with it, which is like, if you're going to question reality with like a doppelganger or something, like pick one or the other, don't pick Mila Kunis and also a secondary, like mirror version of yourself. You're just kind of putting the middle finger up to the audience and trying to keep them off. You know, like I'm really kind of waffling about that stance, but it kind of, pissed me off a little bit on both watches i think i'm like you need to pick one or the other because one is her evil twin in the mirror one is her darker adult self Mm -hmm. right and the other is mila kunis and it doesn't really make sense from like a mental like a mental illness standpoint i don't think or a narrative standpoint or anything else outside of just trying to confuse the audience right It, it takes away from it in some way i feel too manipulated it feels too much like a tool And uh, I was like, you need to go one or the other. You need to just do like Mila Kunis is like everything you're, you're putting this into, or you're literally just seeing your, your evil twin. I don't know how the movie would have worked in either direction without both, but I might have all eventually to a five stars on it.
1: I mean, I get what you're saying completely. I I can, I can see that argument. And as to why that would be, you know, a little maddening, I don't, I don't share that. I, I gave this movie five stars and I feel like I do every time I watch it. I think that it's a perfect movie. Um, I also don't really enjoy it as much as I do with my other
0: five stars. I feel like I really have to love and enjoy a five star movie to, to achieve that level rating personally. Yeah. And this is something I could watch like every 10 years. You know and what I And
1: mean? you know that, I mean, most of my star ratings come out of how my, or what my emotional response is to it. I mean, it's a big chunk of it, right? But I actively enjoy myself when I watch Black Swan. You know, I really get into the story. I really get into just the acting performance. I really get into the way that it's made. I think that it's, it's a really, really good film. Um, I don't know that I would say that it's in my top 10 movies of all time. I would definitely put it in my top 20. You know, I think it's the most watchable of Aronofsky's movies.
0: Maybe I don't know. I'd have to maybe disagree with that. I, part of my thing is also like, I don't really like any of the characters. Like Mila Kunis is almost the the only likable character, and only then barely by the skin of her teeth.
1: Yeah, I mean, I would agree with that. I think like, she's I most don't most like, like Natalie really Portman's
0: character. Like, I don't. I can't she's got a, a lot of issues separate from her mother's issues. You know no, what I mean? I kind of actively hate that character. Yeah.
1: But it's, I mean, as it, it, long as I feel some sort of like emotional response to it, you know what I mean? Sickeningly,
0: almost abusively shy and timid in some areas. And then all of a sudden she'll like get out of her repression, and do something stupid.
1: Like bite a lip. Yeah.
0: Or, or shitty or something like that. I yeah. don't know. Like, and then of course the Vincent Castells character is like, oh, he's such a douche. Weinstein douchebag, And mm-hmm. then like, you know what I mean? And the mother is, is a nightmare. And, Everyone's performances are amazing, but it's like, I need to like be invested in a character and I can't really do that without seeing some of myself
1: in, in something. And maybe that's just how, I mean, like, I don't know. I was about to say something that I feel like is a huge reach now, but maybe this is what it's like working in the arts world. You know what I mean? Is, are there likable people in the arts world? But I don't. Run in those circles, so I don't know. This is also something that's very, very common in an Aronofsky movie. He does not write likable characters.
0: The no. guy needs to pick up a copy of like The Hero with a Thousand Faces or something so we can at least make some sort of like male character that the audience can pour themselves into. I need to see The
1: Fountain. It's the only Aronofsky movie I haven't seen yet. Yeah, so I guess that has maybe a likable character in it. So I'll report back once Just I not a likable plot. Hell, I even liked Mother. You know what I mean? I don't dislike Aronofsky movies, but you're right. He doesn't have likable characters. Anyway. So, most importantly, who's the hottest guy in Black Swan?
0: That would be Sebastian Stan.
1: I have to completely agree with you. <laughs> yeah,
0: I just saw him because, of course, he's a, he's a, the Winter Soldier from MCU, and he's been in a, a movie I'm going to make Robert see for one of our gay months is coming up, um, The Covenant. The Covenant. You know, he's been in quite a few things, I think. But um, but really, I just I remember seeing him in this. And going, oh my God, I forgot Sebastian Stan made a cameo here before he got like super, super famous.
1: And I was watching the movie this time. And I I mean, I've kind of put some of those Marvel movies out of my head or I just don't remember them well enough. And uh, I was just like, who is this guy? I know this guy and he's famous now. So I looked him up immediately. I'm like, oh, okay. It's Bucky. Is that his character's name? Bucky or... Um Bucky Barnes Winter Soldier Winter Soldier but he's super hot in this movie for I mean he's a very brief role and I guess a really close second would be Natalie Portman's husband Benjamin Millipede who plays like the lead male part in Swan Lake he was kind of dreamy as well okay so but yeah definitely Sebastian Stan as always we want to know what you think about the movie and our conversation about it you can find us on social media at the Film Flamers on Twitter Facebook or Instagram you can email us at TiredQueens
0: at FilmFlamers.com or you can call us at
1: 972-666-7733. <sighs> I was perfect. Me <laughs> my <laughs> 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 Okay. Sebastian, please. <laughs> Moonchild. <clears throat> oh my God. We have a lot more content coming out for you in January. Next month, we're continuing our conversations of transformations and Natalie Portman with Annihilation. And then we're going to skip over to Jennifer Jason Leigh and go to uh, Single White Female. That's right. Over on Patreon. Transformations abound. But most importantly, at the end of January, like always, we're going to bring you our Up in Flames episode where we talk about our favorite and maybe least favorite horror movies of 2021. And my God, they were Legion. They were... Guys, we need some reviews. Head over to Apple Podcasts or iTunes. Leave us a five-star review. And why you like us, we'll read that on Shooting the Flames. And like Chris said, we have a Patreon episode coming out this month. So head to patreon.com slash thefilmflamers and join our family over there. Well, Robert, I have to go practice my dance moves. That's right. I have to go masturbate in bed before my mom shows up. Oh, my God. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I have to go right up portmanteau but <laughs> <laughs> well, before you do that let's have some sweet dreams, dreams. have you ever tried any belly moves you would have a big lessee dream about me <laughs> oh my god <laughs> big leslie dream I kind of wish they actually had sex though that's hot yeah. it was a hot lesbian sex scene yeah it was sing a lot on a gay man I know it kind of makes me wish I was straight just for a minute
0: what other movie did you see that made you wish you were a lesbian? I forgot what that was. Wild well, Things? No. <laughs> it was something you saw in the theater years ago. I can't remember. Maybe I you wish I was a lesbian. No. Maybe I just want to be a lesbian. It was that one where they were in the woods and her le- her lesbian wife was not...
1: Oh, 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 oh. Yeah, the one we just talked about. I can't remember that movie. Because it sucked. As Above, So Below. It did not suck! Under the Paris? <laughs> Under the Paris.
0: <laughs> no, it didn't suck.